Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for this day, for the abundant blessings you bestow upon each of us. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts to hear your voice. May your word be spoken and your word received. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. We hear some familiar words today in the Gospel passage from John by which many of us have heard and remember John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And often people know that verse, but forget which is equally important, the verse that comes next, which summarizes again the, the message of the gospel. These two go together that God gave his only Son because he did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That that's the plan of salvation begins with the love of God so that he sends the Son who sets us free. But the love of God is the starting point the starting point of salvation is the outpouring of God for his people. That we have to keep that in mind at all times. And in fact, that's the good news that Paul was trying to remind the church about in this portion of the letter to the Ephesians. As he reminds the church that you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. But now, you've been set free. He's trying to get them to understand this distinction. And for Paul, and really what should be for all Christians, there's an understanding about sin beyond just the individual transgressions we may commit. If it's all about just our individual actions, then presumably we could just work on those individual actions enough till they're fixed. But Paul recognized, the church should recognize, Jesus was talking about that the power of sin reigns and is stronger than just our individual infractions. That there was a, a power of sin that needed to be defeated. A power of evil that existed that needed defeat. This is all in Christ's coming and giving of himself that he defeated something that we could not defeat on our own that's beyond our individual transgressions. Now that doesn't mean our individual actions are not important, but if it's just our individual actions, then we, we could falsely think, well, I can clean up my life enough that then I wouldn't need a savior because I just get all my actions right. Then, you would, then there's no need for a son to come. 
There is no need for the work of Christ. But because there's a whole bigger power that we need freedom from, Jesus defeats what we never could with the outpouring of his love that he comes among us. Because Paul reminds the church, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Vitally important for the church to understand Number one, there is a God who loves us. And that changes everything. Many people want nothing to do with God or the church because they, they think there's a, an angry God that's just waiting to judge, condemn, and destroy. And I don't know where they got that message because that's not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is there's a God who loves us, who is merciful, and who will raise us again to life in Christ Jesus. And by grace, we can be saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. I mean, every word Paul is going over and over again, sentence after sentence, to get us to understand how merciful and loving our God is. And that it is totally through his gift that we have been set free, that we are reconciled to God and come into relationship with him. He says once again, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Again, a message we need to hear. Because much of what we say we believe in the church is this very statement. They were saved by grace, and it's not from ourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that we don't boast. And then what do we do? We try to come up with some sort of law system, rules and structures, so that we can make sure our works are okay, and then when we're doing really well, we can boast about it and say, I've nailed it. By whatever system we've crafted, uh, in a biased way most often so that we're sure we can clear the bar of the system that we've created. And so we make all these works then to be the reason by which God loves us. And then we've missed the order of events. That there is a life that flows out of the thanksgiving of what God's done for us. But the fact that we come into relationship with God, that we enter into his presence, that we're reconciled to him, that's all generated from God, not us. And it's not because we've gotten our life together. It's the free gift of God that he bestows upon us in our messiness, right? Because that's when Jesus came. God didn't yell down, get the world right, 
so that everything is perfect when Jesus comes. And then you just show him how perfect everything is. No, he came into the messiness. That's when he came. While we were sinners, God sent his son. And we get the order of events around often that we expect people who are becoming Christian or are Christian that your life should be perfect with no with no transgressions but that's not how it works we come to Christ in our messiness in our sinfulness and then we enter in to a lifelong process of transformation and sanctification by which we pray day by day that our life would more reflect the image of Christ whom we're called to be and reflect. But that's a process that happens over time. Not instantaneously. And certainly, I don't know that any of us want to raise our hand and say, well, we've nailed it. Now, what we tend to do is compare ourselves to others to make ourselves feel better. And so whatever it may be, we, we can say, well, I go to church three times a month and they only come once. I do this. They don't, they don't do that, but I do. And so we find a comparison always by which we can look better. Right? None of us says, well, let's, let's find like the, the holiest saint of all time and compare my life to them and see how I'm doing. That's not how we operate. We pick these other systems so that we come out on top looking great. But the life of a disciple is to look at Christ. That's the image we're to be reflecting, so that's the comparison. How is my life compared to Jesus? Am I fully reflecting Christ in all that I do and say? That's the measuring rod. And if that's the measuring rod, then I don't think we're ever in danger of being boastful. <laughs> because we can clearly see we're not there yet. But we should be able to look at Jesus and say, I see glimpses of where my life reflects Christ. And if we can't, then we need to even more be praying that the Holy Spirit would make that transformation. Because we're never going to do it perfectly, but we ought to do it. Our lives should be reflecting Jesus to the world. So that day by day, as people encounter us, they encounter Christ. That's what we've been charged to do. And then we can share the good news of the gospel, which is God loves you and has already given himself for you. He has already defeated the powers of sin and death and evil forever. And you're invited to come and receive what God gives you as a gift. You don't earn it. You never could. It's not about our works. It's about a God who loves us and does all the heavy lifting on our behalf so that we can be reconciled to Him. That's the good news of the gospel that we never can forget. And whenever the church starts to formulate a system which seems like it's more about our works by which we do to save ourselves, we need to, we need to stop and say, well, wait a minute. <laughs> why, why are we doing these things? And if they're flowing out of a fruitful life in response to Jesus, it's one thing. 
If we're behaving as if we have to have enough things, which you hear people say, well, I have to have enough good things to put on the scale at the end, to balance out the bad things, and as long as I got one more on the good side of the scale, uh, the door to heaven opens and you go in, as if that's the test. Well, that, that doesn't sound like the gospel. <laughs> that's just try really hard. <laughs> and you save yourself by getting enough stuff in the good column. Well, you don't need a savior for that. You just need a coach that yells at you to keep you in, in order and on track. But Jesus didn't come to be our coach. He came as a savior, an offering, to set us free. And in fact, without him, we're dead. That's the reality. We're dead in sin, separated from God, and it's Christ Jesus who changes everything. May we never forget that. May we come to understand fully what it means that there's a merciful, loving God who has embraced us. May we give thanks to God for that gift of new life in Christ Jesus and go and share that message with the rest of the world. That there is a loving God, a merciful God, who doesn't desire judgment and condemnation, but desires that all might have life and find it in Him and live it abundantly. That all of creation would be reconciled to God. That's our mission, and may the Holy Spirit empower us to go and to do that mission. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift of yourself offered on our behalf, for the freedom that we find in you, and for the outrageous grace and mercy that are offered to each of us. May your Holy Spirit teach our hearts daily what that means, and may our lives be lived to your honor and glory. In Jesus, we ask this in your precious and holy name. Amen.